Our Bible reading this morning will be on the screen. You also have uh, Bibles in the pews in front of you, which we're now allowed to use, and you'll find our Bible reading in Acts chapter 6, starting at verse 8. Acts chapter 6 and verse 8. We'll have a little jump and a turn of the page in the middle. You'll find that on page 1098 if you need the page number. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs amongst the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these charges true? To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land that I will show you. If you're following in the Bible, you might like to turn the page. We skip uh, a chunk of Stephen's speech where he talks about the early history of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, and brings us up to Moses. We continue from chapter 7 Verse 37. This, Stephen continues, this is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, and he received living words to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him in their hearts, and turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and reveled in what their own hands had made. But God turned away from them and gave them over to the worship of the sun, the moon, and stars. This agrees with what is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings for 40 years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You have taken up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Raphan, the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. 
After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua, Joshua <coughs> brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by hands, as the prophet said, Heaven is my home and earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors who always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who did predict, who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the tops of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing of him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Nigel, thank you for reading that. Well, it's great to be together again. Um, if you've been here over the last few weeks, you'll know that we're thinking about the work of the Holy Spirit in the early church. And today, our focus changes to the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a single man, Stephen, a man of faith, courage, and the Holy Spirit. Stephen is famous. Many of us uh, bear his name. Countless churches bear his name. And uh, yet we know very little about him. There's just 11 verses in chapter 7 uh, that describe Stephen. That's all the information we have, plus a few verses, about six verses at the end of uh, chapter 8. Um, sorry, 6 and 7. Sorry, six, uh, 11 and 6, 8, and a few at the end of uh, chapter 7. And the rest of it is all taken up um, with that long speech to the Sanhedrin uh, that Stephen makes. So what is it that is, makes Stephen so significant in the life of the church? What did he, how does he, why did he deserve this cruel death that he suffered at the end? Well, I'm going to try to answer those questions um, <clears throat> by looking first at what Stephen did, secondly at what he said, and finally at how he died. But first, let us pray. Heavenly Father, once again, we ask you to open our ears and our hearts so that this morning we may receive anything that you want to say to us and respond to it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's think about 
this man Stephen and uh, how, what he did, but first how he was chosen. Um, on the day of Pentecost, um, there were two temples. After the day of Pentecost, there were two temples in Jerusalem. Uh, the temple of Herod, which was made of stone, where the apostles used to go to pray and to teach. And then there was the other temple, the temple of the Spirit, the temple where Jesus made his home in the hearts of the disciples. That's the temple that uh, Paul talks about in Corinthians uh, when he said, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that the Spirit dwells in you? Inevitably, the two temples would clash. They would come into conflict. There would be a a terrible uh, collision. And Acts of the Apostles is really the story of that collision between the two temples, the temple of stone and the temple of the Spirit. And Stephen plays an absolutely significant prime part in that, although his story is quite short. Then at Pentecost, what happened is that when the Spirit was poured out on all these people, the, 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 the believers, the number of believers grew from just a handful to many thousands. And many of those had <clears throat> risked and in fact lost everything they had in order to follow Jesus. So there was poverty in the church, there was need, there was hunger. And the apostles had to uh, commit themselves completely to preaching and teaching. So they decided to choose a bunch of guys to run the food bank and to look after, feed those people and to look after and make sure that the distribution was fair between the different groups of people in need. And that's how we first meet Stephen. But first I want to point out the amazing way in which they chose these people. I mean, you and I, if we chose a bunch of guys to look after uh, the food supply, uh, we would choose people um, who had some catering experience. But see here what the, how the apostles chose their people. This was the job descriptions. Brothers, they said, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And two verses later we read, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And that really told me that there is something amazing about ordinary service. The magic, the power of simple Christian service. Um, there are many people at, in St. John's today who fir- were first attracted to the church, I've heard this so often, by the welcome they got at the door. And in the days when we were serving refreshments by someone who made them a cup of coffee and talked to them, and above all who chatted to them afterwards. And these strangers came in, and these, these new friends, St. John's, showed an interest in them, And if any concerns were talked about, they would pray for them. And that's how miracles happen. And of course, in the story of Stephen, we see that he worked among the people and miracles happened just through his service. And um, I'd like to go back to that verse. Stephen, full of grace and power. He worked great wonders among the people. Why did he work among? I've highlighted among the people in my copy because he could do great works among the people precisely because he was there among the people. He could reach people that the disciples and the church leaders couldn't reach. 
And you and I on that position, you've probably heard it preached many times from the pulpit, that you know, we, you and I, each of us, have a singular network of people. We have friends and relatives and colleagues at work that no one else can reach. And these are people that we share our lives with, that have shared their lives with us, and many of whom don't know Jesus. And if we've had the time and the patience to listen um, <clears throat> to their concerns, their worries, then surely we've earned the right to talk to them about what matters most to us, the love of God, faith in Jesus Christ, the good news of salvation. And so we have this opportunity to share with people, but we don't do it, a number of reasons we don't do it, but mainly we haven't asked God to give us the courage and the Holy Spirit to give us the words. If you ask God to, to speak into the life of a person that, uh, that you, you know, that doesn't know him, that trusts you and loves you, then the Holy Spirit will give you the words uh, to speak in due course. Uh, some time ago, I resolved uh, that I would always offer to pray for whoever I come across who actually expresses a worry or concern to me. And last week, only last week, <clears throat> I was talking to a neighbor that I have a very casual sort of passing acquaintance with for some time, and this was the first time that we had a proper conversation. And she said to me, uh, she shared with me how she dreaded going back to the office after 16 months of working from home. She was afraid of the, the whole process of getting there, working there, coming home again. So I said, well, would you allow me to, to pray with you about this? And she said, okay. So I prayed, and after I finished, she said, you know, I must tell you, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in any God at all. But something happened. When you prayed with me just then, I felt some good vibes. And that opened up a wonderful opportunity for me to tell her where those good vibes, who came, sent her those good vibes. And I was able to share a little bit of God's love with her. But you know, there's a clash of two temples, and there's, when, there is God, when God is at work, you very soon find that there's opposition. And next thing we learn about Stephen is that he, his, he, he hit opposition. We go back to our text. It says, Stephen, uh, a man full of faith and grace and power, uh, performed great works among the people. We've done that. But then op very next verse, opposition arose from the membership of the synagogue of the freedmen who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom that he, he, that he spoke. No sooner was Stephen showing fruit and, and success in his labors that he came up against opposition. And these guys, um, local synagogue, got into an argument with him. When they couldn't win the argument, they got, as we saw in our video, they got some false witnesses who, who accused him falsely of having insulted Moses, insulted the temple, that Jesus had said he would destroy it, all, all this, this stuff. And of course, this got the people very angry, so they dragged him in front of the Sanhedrin. And there he was in front of the priestly court, highest court in the land. I wonder if that sounds familiar to you. This is exactly the same Sanhedrin with the same high priest, Caiaphas, that had condemned Jesus. And just a couple of chapters before, 
it's the same Sanhedrin, the same Caiaphas who had sent Peter and John uh, into, into jail uh, for pro- proclaiming the name of Jesus in Jerusalem. And so there was Stephen in front of these guys who must by this time have been thoroughly fed up with these, these irksome Christians. And, and he, he, he uses this opportunity to do something very special. And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, we now must move from what he did to what he said. Because the first question the high priest asked him, I love this, high priest says, ask him a simple yes or no question. He said, are these charges true? And Stephen, instead of defending himself and answering, he doesn't give a yes, no answer. He, he uses this opportunity, this day in court, standing in front of these people, to point to the Lord Jesus as the Messiah. Fantastic story. And he goes, and now, then you wonder about this long narrative where he goes through all the things. Well, we must remember these people were steeped in the history of uh, the Jewish people. They knew the books of Moses back to front. They knew every word by heart. And there was the Sanhedrin, the chief priest, and he uses those very scriptures to accuse them and to tell them how they've fallen short, how they failed both God and their people by the way that they led them. And he accused them, made two terrible accusations. He accused them of uncircumcised hearts and uncircumcised ears. And that those were Old Testament insults, but the worst thing you could say to a Jew, because a Jew, for him, circumcision was the sign of being one of God's people. And what, in fact, Stephen is saying is, you're Jews on the outside, but inside you're just as bad and as sinful and as decrepit as any un- unreligious pagan. And in that, you, I remember the words of Jesus. You know, he, say, he said to the... Jesus addressed this, that same crowd of, 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 of uh, Sanhedrin. He said, you, he said, Jesus said in Matthew 23, he says, you teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. There's a great deal more to say about all this, uh, Stephen, but I'd like to just uh, focus on two of the accusations that Stephen makes against the Jewish leadership. The first is, you tried to put God in a box. And the second is that you've always, always resisted the Holy Spirit when it came to deciding between the guidance of the spirit or the guidance of the flesh, the vested interests, you've always decided for the latter. Let's take these two arguments very briefly, one by one. You've tried to put God in a box, says Stephen. The great temple of Jerusalem at that time had become the holiest place on earth. It was the place where devout Jews came to make sacrifices for their sins And it's a place where God was to be found. This is where you went to meet God. And for many, temple worship had become just that. It had become a worship of the temple. So Stephen used the Jewish scriptures to demonstrate that God dwells in people and not in buildings. And in Acts 7, uh, 48, we find this wonderful statement, the heart of his argument. He says, however, the most high, he says, Uh, says uh, Stephen, the Most High does not live 
in, in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And Stephen reminded them that for most of Israel's history, and he goes through all the discourse there, for most of Israel's history, there was no temple. There was no temple when Jesus spoke to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses. And even in, in the desert, when he led them for 40 years, God led them by fire and by, by clouds. But there was no temple. There was a, a box with the uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant that they carried around with them, but that had the Ten Commandments in it. It was a portable thing, not a temple, not a, not a, a, a stone immovable temple. And even King Solomon, when he eventually came to build the temple in Jerusalem, the great temple, he, he made it quite clear at the dedication that he had no intention of putting God in a box within that temple. You know, he, this is what he said. Solomon says... He says, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens and the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much more this temple that I built? You can read that in 2 Chronicles 2. And today, Stephen's speech reminds us that the church is people and not a building. As Jesus famously said, uh, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. And, you know, I found those words so comforting during the first lockdown. We were locked out of this building, locked out of our church, and yet we, we kept going, didn't we? And the reason for that is that we, a lot of us, COVID taught a lot of us exactly that, that God does not dwell in a building, God dwells wherever we are, because we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. We can find them walking around the heath, in the park, sitting in the bath, in the quiet of our bedroom, God is with us wherever we are. And I just feel that such an important thing to remember that the buildings are theirs, as Jesus said, you know, my house is a house of prayer, but you have turned into a den of thieves. We, that is so easy to, to happen. And then he, the other second, let's go to the second accusation. Second accusation, you've resisted the Holy Spirit. Stephen's first accusation really put the, uh, got up the nose of the, 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 the Pharisees, but the second one drove them absolutely crazy with rage, as we, we read. And so he says, you are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet? Our, an your, our ancestors did not persecute. They were even, you even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. Wow. Stephen accuses them of opposing the Holy Spirit, opposing God, fighting God. And, you know, persecuting prophets. And then he, the messianic names that he uses, the righteous one is a, a name that they would have recognized as being the Messiah. And you've gone and murdered him too. You know, this, we, we laugh and we criticize this, but that fight goes on inside us as well. There's always a fight between the two temples in us too. It's the, temp the righteousness, the, Holy, the work of the Holy Spirit leading us, and the interests and the things that, that matter to us that kind of come against it. The sin, the flesh, and the spirit are at war, and it just reminds me of that when I read this. 
Well, at this point, they've, 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 they get absolutely raged, enraged, these guys, the Pharisees, and they, they, they gnash their teeth at him, and they stop up their ears, and they, they shout and scream, and they turn into wild animals. In fact, the original Greek says they were ready to cut him to pieces. Well, they didn't cut him to pieces. They hauled him off to be, uh, to be stoned. And then something amazing happens. Stephen, it says in our scripture, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Look, he said to his accusers, see, I see heaven open and the Son of Man, another messianic title, uh, standing at the right hand of God. Very interesting here. Notice he said he was standing at the right hand of God. Everywhere else in Scripture, you always, Jesus always portrayed as sitting at the right hand of the Father, not standing. And so why the standing? And various commentators have, have sort of reflected on this. And the reason, my favorite interpretation is the reason Jesus was standing instead of sitting at the right hand of the Father is because he got off his throne to welcome into paradise his first martyr. Because as Chris said earlier, um, this was the first human being to die for the Christian faith. Well, what follows is inevitable. Uh, the writer of Acts, Luke, tells us that uh, the judges became like a pack of wild animals. Uh, they had Stephen dragged out. And uh, just when you think it's all over now, you think it's finished. Stephen is dying. And just then there is a, a little light at the end of the tunnel. It's almost a throwaway line. It's, we learn that there were, as they were stoning Jesus, those that were stoning him laid their clothes at the feet of a young man called Saul. This is the Saul, the Paul, who would soon become Paul, Jesus' most ardent and fervent disciple. And then we meet him here running the cloakroom for assassins. And then again, we, we meet him at the end, where we, at the end of our reading, which Nigel did, where he said, and, and Saul approved of uh, the death of Stephen. And it just tells me, and it should tell all of us, that we can never know um, what, what God can do with people. I mean, we don't know what the effect of Stephen's death had um, on, on Paul, on his conversion, and so on. But what we do know is that God can change literally anyone from an enemy into a disciple of Jesus. Stephen's words, last words before he died, echo G Jesus' last words on the cross. He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord, do not hold this against them. As I looked at that, I thought, well, thanks to the cross, you and I will not have our sins held against us uh, if we turn to Christ in repentance and faith. So, uh, just to finish off, what, what can we take away from the story of Stephen? I think there, there, well, there are lots of things we can take away, but I'd like to just focus on four of them. Four things should be easy for me to remember, maybe for you too. Um, the first is that the, the, the power of simple service, the fact that ordinary people serving, giving Christian service at the door, at the coffee machine, at the, just in church, can do such great things in the lives of others. The second is that God is not 
constrained by buildings. He's not contained in, you can't put him in a box. Uh, he is not constrained by time or space. And that leads us to the fact that the third is that churches are people, not buildings. And then finally, the fourth, and this is for me personally is the most important one, is that we, when we ask God, when we ask him to, to give us the Holy Spirit, to give us boldness uh, and the right words uh, to speak to those that don't know the Lord that we know, uh, then God is faithful. He will always help us. So just to conclude, let me pray that we may all of us have the faith and the boldness of Stephen and the guidance of his Holy Spirit as we navigate our way through these uncertain and difficult times. May we be a blessing to others. May each of us be a strong witness through what we do and what we say, hopefully not by the way we die, but may we all be faithful witnesses to the living God. Amen.